Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Booktopia podcast. Uh, my name is Mark Harding. I'm content and brand manager for Booktopia. And I'm Ben Hunter, the fiction category manager. And we're introducing you to a very special podcast that we were lucky enough to record with the one and only David Mitchell. It was a hell of a chat and uh, a little strange. Um, he talks about his new novel, Utopia Avenue, which is a must read, I have to say. Uh, Mark and I have both read it. And now having spoken to the man himself, we're, we're pretty much in love. Um, and I think you will be too. Um, without further ado, Mark, let's leave him to it. So hello, David Mitchell, and welcome to the Booktopia Books podcast. We're really thrilled to have you. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Uh, so let, let's get right into it. Um, first question, your books are often grounded in a very distinct sense of time. In this case, you've chosen the iconic 1960s. When you're choosing to set a book in a certain era, do you make conscious choices to say something about our current times through that era? Or are you more focused on a tone or a motif? And what drew you to the 1960s? Uh, well, there were three crafty questions smuggled into that one there. Uh, I'll try and do my best for all of them. Um, what draws me? Uh, well, I wanted to write about music. I wanted to write about young pioneers of music, uh, of a particular kind of music. And 1967, 1968 seemed to me, uh, it kind of shows itself. It's pretty much the only window where the sort of band I would be interested in curating into being could have plausibly existed. Um, anything earlier than 67, then it just wouldn't have rung true that, that, that my band could have been that experimental, that Sergeant Pepper's influenced before, say, Sergeant Pepper's had, had happened, that psychedelic uh, in origin as well, before psychedelia had happened, you can see that it just wouldn't really have been plausible. Um, then, uh, I'm sorry, what was, um, uh, I've uh, I slightly got lost. Uh, with the, no, that's okay, sorry, question, it, was, which was a, it was a convoluted yeah. question. <laughs> um, uh, my other question was um, whether you're making a conscious choice to use an era to say something about the times we're currently living uh, yeah, in, yeah, or whether yeah, you're yeah. just kind of more attracted to a tone or a motif of that era? Um, kind of neither. If I'm, uh, uh, if, if, if you'll let me uh, kick the tyres of your question a little bit, uh, sure. it's more a case that um, you don't really have to try to artificially sort of crank modern day relevancy into historical work. If you're writing about human beings being human, then it's always relevant. If you're writing about society, then it's always relevant. Uh, we always live in one. The 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 uh, the costumes and the stage settings shift from era to era. But I think the fundamental mechanics and of of, of human relationships and and electronics of society of the power structures uh, these are pretty universal. I mean um. Uh, and 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 I think this is why literature works. It's why uh, the arts are relevant across decades and centuries. Um, the, the 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 external appearances can change, but I think what's underneath those appearances don't really. So yeah, uh, that is my entire kick of an answer to your very good question. David, was the novel driven just by sheer delight in 
the music and the scene or did you set out from the start to explore the heart of counterculture and the, its kind of crash into oblivion and immortality? Um, again, I think you can do both. Um, mm. Yes, it, uh, it, it, it wasn't uh, an exuberant and exciting time when, when it was widely believed by a critical mass of mostly young people, but not exclusively, that just by thinking, by dreaming, uh, you could substantially reboot, recalibrate uh, consumerist society. Anything was up for grabs. It was all in the air. You could throw what you wanted at the wall and see what stuck. If you could conceive of doing it, you could doing it. Uh, you could do it. That was, um, I think, that was in the air. And of course, that's an exciting time to live in. And and uh, and if you're not living in it, then it's it, it's an exciting time to write about. Uh, and of course, it has a trajectory. It, it it's 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 a plot. We're looking back at it and we know what happened next which is in reality it wasn't viable it did hit speed bumps and pretty soon brick walls and lsd was not this sort of widespread panacea that would that would elevate uh human beings to a new plane of existence at least not for most people and pretty soon it was a it, resulted in the Sid Barrett's of the scene in, 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 in acid burnout. This is one example uh, of what branches of the counterculture might have uh, uh, espoused. However, of course, we, we also have the historical perspective to see that a lot of, um, a lot of seeds were planted and, and by the counterculture, which subsequently germinated into into organisms that that, uh, that that grew and have substantially shifted the narrative uh, from then to now. Um, LGBTQ rights can uh, trace their origins back to that time. The idea of a uh, drug rehabilitation being well, just being a thing uh, rather than some fanciful wacko pipe dream. Um, Civil rights for all, uh, legal aid, um, a serious social effort to fix problems like homelessness. Um, many aspects of the modern world, which we take for granted, uh, you can look back and find their origins in times like the late 60s, when some kind of a door opens, some kind of a door to the future, some kind of a door to possibilities which, which which just weren't widely enough subscribed to until those times happen this is so um yeah uh, this is another long rambly answer to your concise question but um if i'm making some kind of sense then i will float my answer your way uh, across the uh the, <laughs> across the bridge of skype to the antipodes there you go <laughs> um, so I think it's fairly safe to assume that you've done a deep dive into the bands of the era in creating Utopia Avenue. Mm. Are there any lesser known or lost albums of this period that gave you inspiration? And was there anything in particular that you listened to while crafting the novel? Whoa, thank you. <laughs> um, well, I will do my best to turn your uh, concise uh uh, question uh, into something, uh, into another 
complex rambling answer. Uh, yeah, uh, of course, I, I love the music of the time. Uh, many, um, many albums I revisited or, or, or discovered for the first time. Uh, of course, most of them have floated out of my head right now. So what I will do on my laptop is have a look at Spotify, where I have some uh, some public playlists, Utopia Avenue and then Utopia Avenue 2 and 3. And what do I find? Um, Dusty in Memphis album by Dusty Springfield, a glorious thing. Uh, we've got... Uh, Sandy Denny, who I knew of before I started the novel, but uh, what a beautiful singer. She was in the classic lineup of Fairport Convention, which was another name uh, that I knew, but I didn't know as well, certainly, as I do now. Um, Nick Drake and his, his wonderful, um, tragic singer-songwriter. Um, yes. Tragic because he died young, but also kind of transcendent because his albums have subsequently been rediscovered and they are just they're just wonderful um, yes. uh, some lesser known folk singers uh, Anne Briggs um, uh, a singer called Bridget St John or Bridget St John uh, who I also had never heard of uh, I re-evaluated Sid Barrett's Pink Floyd, which um, which sort of eclipsed by what the band did in the seventies without him. But that first album, the Piper from the Gates of Dawn, is, is uh, in a sort of semi-juvenile way, is is really interesting as well. Uh, is that enough of a sort of a, a, a cluster a, a, um, a cluster of names of for you, or shall I go on? <laughs> yeah, I, I, actually, I actually, while you were talking, I pulled up the um, the playlist on Spotify, and I love that um, you've included "Listen to the Flower People" by Spinal Tap. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, that has been well. Um, the Utopia Avenue two and three playlists were mostly crowdsourced via Spotify, so uh, I owe my uh, uh, I owe people who follow my account uh, most of the credit for most of these songs. Uh, Incense and Peppermints by Strawberry Alarm Clock. Oh, only yes. in 1967, only in 1968. <laughs> I think that's on the Austin Powers soundtrack. Um, um, then could you yeah. briefly describe the four musical wizards that have disparately come together in your novel to form the band Utopia Avenue? And could you tell us if there's one in particular that you maybe identify with the most? I'll do my best, thank you, to describe my four children, um, <laughs> the flower children. Uh, so, as you say, they're, um, uh, they've been brought together uh, by me in the novel, but well, it's inside the novel, by, uh, by a canny Canadian manager called Levon. Uh, they haven't formed organically, like most bands did, by knowing one another at school or from art college or somewhere. Um, and I did this to try to... Well, because it's sort of the band I'd be most interested in. They've come from really different backgrounds. Uh, I'll start with Elf. I wanted some female energy in the band so the changing rooms didn't smell overpoweringly of a testosterone. Uh, Elf Holloway, is uh, she's a English middle-class uh, uh, folk singer. Uh, she plays keyboards in the band. And... Um, 
she has issues with uh, with her family who, who really don't think this is a respectable uh, thing for a young lady to be doing in, in the late 1960s. Uh, she sings and writes. Uh, a lot of um, her, her character DNA is drawn from Sandy Denny, who was in a similar situation, who, who, who as I mentioned um, earlier, was in Fairport Convention for the classic lineup. Uh, I then tried to camouflage her origins by having Sandy Denny appear as a cameo in the novel as well. Um, that's Elf. Uh, Dean is a working class boy from the other side of London, from uh, the, 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 the East End where the uh, where the fumes would blow and the and the effluence would drift down the river, this Gravesend. Uh, he's he's more of of, of an R and B background. Uh, there'd be something of Davis Brothers, who um who were kind of the founding and creative force in in the band The Kinks. Uh, quite earthy. Um, he's what he's what he has in common with. David Bowie is 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 that he just can't have the same kind of life as the lives of those uh, of, of he can't have the life that his socioeconomic origins would condemn him to as he sees it he has to make this work he just can't live like uh, his parents live he 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 has to climb a ladder to something the most more ambitious isn't he. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he is. Uh, he ha he has furthest to climb uh, in terms of the class ladder. Um, so that's him. Uh, then, then uh, already near the top of the class ladder is Jasper. Jasper de Zoot. Uh, he's 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 got blue blooded um, Dutch origins, although he was also illegitimate. That mattered more in those days, and was still a thing. Uh, he's also got an interesting relationship with reality. Uh, he mm. he he either has been visited by voices in his head by other presences, if they're real, or he's schizophrenic if they're not real. And 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 uh, that's either true or not true, depending on whether you've read another of my books or whether you believe a psychiatrist who's uh, in the novel. And then finally, there's the drummer, uh, Griff. Um, oh, I should have said, Dean is the bassist. Uh, he also writes and sings. Uh, Jasper is is a sort of virtuoso guitarist. If, if you could combine Nick Drake and Jimi Hendrix, then you'd get Jasper, sometimes saying. Or maybe Peter Green, Fleetwood Mac, from, from, from an earlier version of Fleetwood Mac. Uh, Griff, uh, Griff Griffin is the drummer. Um, and he's 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 from Yorkshire, which is sort of uh, outside the class system altogether. It's simply Yorkshire. <laughs> and uh, I'd say there'd be some ginger bacon in him. He's got some jazz. He's got sort of, sort of some jazz origins in in where he learned his trade. Uh, maybe Mick Fleetwood as well. He's uh, he can a little bit Ringo-y perhaps, but um, yeah, maybe more ginger Baker. He's kind of the wild man of the group in some ways but um yeah that's him uh which one do i feel most uh attracted to or or, or, or most affinity with um all of them uh but maybe jasper's the jasper's the dreamer of the band i think and maybe i can identify with that more closely 
So if I have to choose one at gunpoint, then I'd say Jasper. But uh, but uh, but if you're not waving a gun in my direction, then all of them. Good. Um, I, I think I'd agree myself. And and we wouldn't wave a gun in your direction. But same question, but kind of for your pantheon of characters that you've created um, through your career, is there a particular character that you relate to more, or that you think about more than some others? Um. The the involuntary immortal Marinus is probably the only one who who who, who um, uh, what's the right way to put it? Uh, Marinus is an ongoing project. Uh, what he slash she is, and what he slash she is for, is uh, is probably most central to this. This uh, rambling, expanding thing that all my books are adding up to. So probably the one-word answer is Marinus. However, I wouldn't rule any of them out. Uh, anyone I've ever written might come back again one day. Uh, but I know Marinus will be around for a while, so probably he slash she or they uh, would be the answer to the question, yeah. Excellent choice. <laughs> And David, you've written a, a phone book's worth of uh, celebrity appearances into Utopia Avenue. Um, we have hey. everyone from Mama Cass Elliot to David Bowie, a young David Bowie at that. Um, is it fun to bring those personalities to life as an author? Um, or is it terrifying to do justice to them? Or is it both? Thank you. Um... Yeah, it's it's both uh, terrifying, not quite, but I do. Uh, it, it it behoves me to remember that they were real people and they have living relatives and many, many, many fans, and uh, and you can't take liberties with them, and uh, you can't um, you can't give them major things to do that 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 that, uh, that would alter their own lives biographies uh they're not mine to co-opt that's what i'd like to say that said uh they were um they were key figures to a very vibrant scene and i do depict that scene and it would be odd to omit uh all of them uh they were at those parties they were in those clubs they were at those bars they were trying to climb the same ladder that uh my characters are climbing so they would have known one of them one another so um i'm not kind of wrapped with guilt about having them in the book either um i don't want them to be just there for eye candy or or, or, or for um kind of bird spotting effect uh i want them to be substantial enough to say alter the trajectory not of the book but but of a scene or to change the mood in a scene or to uh, impart some knowledge or some information that that is relevant to one of my fictional characters in a scene. So it's a question of sort of defining uh, the bandwidth within which they operate, not too influential, but not trivial either, uh, and keeping them there, and also just getting them right, uh, by which I mean, um, if, if, if I'm going to have them appear in my novel, then they need to speak as they really spoke, which luckily you can find out by studying the speech patterns and vocabulary on YouTube uh, and by reading uh, either their own memoirs, if they wrote one, or 
um, a good biography about them, if not, and often both. So uh, that is, uh, uh, that's my answer to your concise question. I did pretty well <laughs> with that one. It was, it, it was under two minutes, I think. Uh, so Utopia, the, Utopia Avenue sits happily between the real and the fantastical. As you've discussed, there's lots of cameos from people who really existed, but it's balanced with hints of kind of the broader supernatural battling that is happening in the background of all your books and kind of quite explicit in some like the bone clogs. What's, what draws you to and from the deeper realms of the fantastical or supernatural in your writing? Oh, what draws me? I mean, a flippant answer would be I'm drawn there because I'm me. Um, and maybe that's not flippant. Uh, it just sort of postpones the question, which is, well, how come then? How come you being you draws you to the fantastical? Uh, it, it was, it's maybe there in my formative compost heap, the TV shows I watched when I was a kid, the books that really got me into reading and kind of thence into writing. Um, uh, to name names, Ursula Le Guin's books, Susan Cooper's books, um, uh, certain superbly written fantasy novels that were in the much smaller than it is now uh, children's books, bookshelves in uh, the bookshops that I would have browsed in in the late 70s, early 80s, spending my birthday book tokens and Christmas pound notes. Um, it was those books I went for. So those books were sort of in my early diet uh, which maybe engender a lifelong fondness for the genre, but also uh, it's there in several sets of inverted commas here, uh, serious literature as well. Um, uh, the Master and Margarita uh, by Mikhail Bulgakov, many of the Russians, many of the Russian heavyweights, Gogol, uh, had, a, had a fantastical gene. Um, many uh, uh, kind of, you can find the same gene in in in, ah, in world literature. I think um, it's there in Peter Carey. Since we're in since we're in Australia at the moment, uh, it's there in um, Salman Rushdie in Latin American magical realism. Uh, what is that if not fantastical? Uh, so I know it, it It sort of has a name as a genre. Um, 19th century work as well. Um, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson. Um, even in Dickens, uh, the laws of reality are often bent and sometimes snapped uh, before being ref uh, before be before being kind of splintered up again at the end. Um, I know that, um, sure, there is the genre uh, fantasy, which uh, sort of on, on the notional hierarchy doesn't necessarily occupy a, um, an, an esteemed position, but I think that's slightly defunct thinking. Uh, if it's good, it's good. If, um, if a narrative is well-written and engrossing, then who cares whether it has dragons or not? Who cares whether it has immortals in it or not? 
uh, is how I think. Uh, I've answered your question, what draws me? Uh, because I'm me and that's why perhaps. Um, and, the, you know, um, it's, it's sometimes a, the fantastic can be an interesting angle of incidence to examine realism. Uh, you can examine mortality from the realist side, but maybe you have a different perspective if you examine mortality from the perspective of an immortal. Uh, what kind of immor uh, an immortal, an, an, an involuntary immortal or a more vampiric predatory immortal? It takes you into interesting thematic zones, I find. So it maybe these are why I do it. Hey, thank you. Um, <laughs> I do my best. I do my best. Speaking of immortality, your fiction, um, <laughs> uh, it interlinks. Um, all your books, they, they most all, all your novels, they, they you, you read along the way, and 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 longtime fans uh, will just encounter Easter eggs of uh, of prior novels of your writing. Um, when you write sure. in those connections, is it a self conscious way that you're signalling to the reader that? you know that they're viewing you as one big amorphous lump of David Mitchell or is it um, <laughs> or is it for something else? I've never been called a big amorphous lump before and I like it. Um, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to get a t-shirt with big amorphous lump written on it and wear it with pride. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's other things. I mean, uh, I was doing it before I had fans, uh, if, 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 if I can use that word, or certainly before I had a readership. Uh, so uh, um, I'll give you a list of reasons. In the first instance, I did it because I enjoyed it when writers like, Haru, uh, like Haruki Murakami also do it. I like that throb of recognition. Secondly, uh, a character you've already used slash met slash read before. They don't come as tabula rasas. They don't come as blank slates. They bring luggage with them, and you can unzip that backpack and spill out the luggage. And mm. and and it does things. It has theme. It has tone. It weighs the scene a bit differently if you have a shared past with someone. It's 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 a difference between a beer with an old friend and someone you're meeting at a speed date for the first time. Um, and of course, the new narrative, the new narrative has. So the prime directive is that uh, my books aren't um, aren't instalments. Uh, they have to work independently, uh, and and I'm always very careful that they do work independently. But if, as it happens, you have read uh, other books and you're meeting a character again, then as it happens, they will be bringing. Um, stuff to the new book third reason uh all this lets me be a maximalist and a minimalist at the same time uh, i started out uh drooling over maps of middle earth i started out wanting to write something as big as isaac asimov's foundation books you know the, 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 these books at first these genre novels that first really got me into reading or at least they were published as genre novels uh and 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 i, I would just sort of um internally oscillate at the very idea of just writing something that cathedral uh, what mm. is an adjective of cathedral uh that a cathedralic that cathedralesque <laughs> uh 
that big. Um, yet, as I got older, my curiosity ran off in lots of different directions down very different rabbit holes. Um, and I also wanted to write a short, focused cycle of ghost stories. I also wanted to write a historical novel set in a very specific location in Nagasaki Harbour at the end of the 18th century. Uh, I, I also wanted to do very specific things, say write a book about the milieu in which I grew up in, a small English village in nowhere here in, 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 in the year of the Falklands War. Uh, so I, I also wanted to do these very specific things. Now, what I'm doing with 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 the I used to call it an Uber novel, but then Uber was a thing. So I, I kind of just <laughs> think of um, cheap rides in foreign cities now. But um, uh, uh, say a meta novel. Uh, the meta novel lets me do both. It lets me build something lifelong in scale, but also let me be quite. It, it also uh, lets me be very specific about. Uh, the times and the places and the locations of the novels as well. And then finally, um, I've, I've most recently become aware that the meta-novel is lining up some kind of a meta-novel novel <laughs> in the future, where, where it, it's, it's, it's as if all of the books are creating pieces for a kind of a game, a kind of a chess game. It's not chess, but it'll be some kind of a intertangled intergame uh that that, that 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 will give me the raw material of, of of quite a chunky novel in the future i think there may be other reasons why i do it as well that i just haven't that haven't become apparent yet or, or, or maybe don't even exist yet but uh uh i've started so i'll finish as contestants on the bbc quiz show mastermind used uh or, or as, as the quiz master used to say maybe still does when the bone clocks came out you gave an interview to The Guardian in which you said that you had your next five books planned out. So since then, you've put out Slate House and now Utopia Avenue. Are the next yeah. three books still mapped or has the plan changed? The, um, uh, maybe I was flattering myself a little bit with that quote. Uh, five <laughs> is maybe kind of like uh, three, but with possible ideas for another three say so um uh there's so that you're, you're committing to six now is, on our podcast is uh, that what you're, saying? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're out doing the guardian uh say i would uh i would commit to three firmly and say another three vaguely uh then planned out is also a little bit of a stretch perhaps i i, I know some of the scenes that will happen in them uh, I've got some of the stem cells, but I don't quite know how. Well, um, in some cases, and the further it, into the future, kind of in this queue that we go, uh, the vaguer I get. But uh, I, um, I don't know exactly what will be happening in any of them, but uh, I know parts of what will be happening in some of them and ideas about the, uh, the world in which I'll set them as well. If I live that long, we can't take anything for granted. But um, but yeah, if I'm still around, I don't think I'll ever run out of ideas. That's the thing. Um, I I can't see that happening. Over. <laughs> <laughs> with the um, 
with the albums and the songs that are featured in Utopia Avenue, uh, do you have a clear idea in your head of what those songs are, what they sound like, the melodies, the instrumentation? Do you hum them around the house when you're doing the housework? This is the fictional songs at the band, right? You mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, well, um, in the beginning, I thought, let's just uh, drape discrete veils over these songs, because no song I could ever write or refer to would be as good as the imaginary song in the reader's mind. And I did that for about 100 pages, but then it started to feel... A bit weird that that no lines from the songs were ever appearing. You know, this is the this is the bread and butter of the band. It's 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 also that manner from heaven for the band. It's also what the band live with. It's their creative space. So it was starting to feel artificial that I was never referring uh, to any of the lyrics of the song. So I started to put them in, um, and. Of course, I, I have to keep descriptions quite short because descriptions of music are as they quickly become as dull as other people's descriptions of their dreams. So they're, they're, they're really interesting for about three lines, but three lines is about all you've got, and then you drop off a cliff. Uh, hmm. So within those limits, yes, I had to know what the band, uh, what the music, the songs sound like because I had to write them. However, uh, also as um, you know, uh, uh, because of the pandemic, there were no book tours, no festivals. So instead of that, I, I, I've been putting a lot of energy into what they call in the music business um, added content or extra content. And so I've, I've also written all the lyrics for all the songs on the first album, uh, oh. whether or not those lyrics appear in 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 the book or not. So because of that, I've I had a much um, uh, I've I've developed a much clearer idea. It's just uh, as lyrics exist outside the book. Um, if who knows a TV show ever happened, then I can obviously use them again because, unlike novels, TVs have speakers, so you can actually hear the songs. Uh, in fact, you have to hear something, so you can't get away at all with a with with a blank space where the songs are. In the same way, you can with uh, text with uh, novels. Um, so when writing those songs, I would, um, I, I, I'm, I'm not a songwriter, I'm not a professional musician and I've never been in a band. So I needed some help urgently and looking through a good book about songwriting, I found a suggestion and, um, actually hearing, uh, Paul McCartney speak on interviews. Uh, one, one time-honored model is to nick an existing song and then, write lyrics for that song as if um as if it's yours and in doing so changes will creep in because you because certain lines you want to get in won't fit so there'll be some drift away from the starting point anyway uh and so i did that um and and i couldn't sort of name particular songs for or particular template songs for uh, the lyrics I wrote and sort of transposed over them. Uh, but because you haven't seen the lyrics in question, because they're not yet in the public realm, um, uh, it probably wouldn't make any sense. But um, so uh, more than I would have done two months ago, it's the answer to your question. <laughs> <Excellent>. <laughs> 
you should um you should put them online somewhere put them in a blog and uh put it out there so session musicians uh, around the world can start strumming to your <laughs> lyrics making up songs uh, that, never would that would um, be that uh that would be a huge kick um random house will be doing something with them uh i think it, I think in the first instance they're sort of available for pre-orders or something like that. But then um, <laughs> the internet, the uh, the internet being the internet, I doubt they'll uh, stay uh, that secret for very long, which very is fine. Um, I have one last um, very serious question. Um, in okay. Your opinion, in your opinion, David, what is the greatest musical achievement of the 1960s era? And why was it Herman Hermit's 1965 self-titled album? <laughs> um that was a good title for, i mean that was a good album for 1965 and i know the one you mean uh by 1968 by 1969 it was looking like, like something from the 30s yeah 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 which kind of goes which is a nice uh top and tail of the interview away takes us right back to the beginning kind of those were such fast moving years every six months had uh decade of musical development in, in normal times uh, the same way actually right now the era we're in every six months feels like 10 years worth of history uh in 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 more apparently ordinary times however um one of course is impossible just impossible uh i'll throw sergeant pepper's back at you um knowing that it's impossible to say anything original about that album it's like venice you just can't write anything you, 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 you can't it's impossible to write an original sentence about it it's been so poured over and analyzed um uh, I, i'll try to surprise you with a less obvious one which would be the the first Joni mitchell album song to a seagull which was recorded by David Crosby and which he's always said he messed up with the recording levels, but I disagree and, 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 and I'd say that what he did was a happy accident. Uh, I think it sounds strange and eerie and great. And it sort of established to my mind, at least the, um, the, the flawed singer songwriter album that, um, took root and in some ways is still with us in in say um singers like the billy eilish who, who who i know co-writes with her brother but it's it's this sort of intimate confessional mode of songwriting uh has has been a strand that took root then arguably and it's all arguably it's all subjective mm. but which um which 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 has informed popular music since then in ways that make it impossible to imagine the world without these kinds of songs. Dylan was doing it as well, but there's something about Joni Mitchell that that, that the 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 lifting of the roof off a dark room and just flooding all the nooks and crannies with light and turning those into songs. Um, just the way she did it, the um, the 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 license she gives poets to put their work to music, the the the, the unembarrassed nature of the poetry of the lyrics. Um, it's she was still and, and and I like the fact it's flawed. It, it it's 
it's it's not blue by Joni Mitchell. It's not right. um it, it's it, it's you can still see her learning her craft. You can still see her slightly going down cul-de-sacs and taking slight missteps and doing things slightly wrong. Um, there's nothing like a Salieri to teach you how to do Mozart and to mix in a little bit of the former with the latter, I think is really instructive. And it's an album I, I, I kind of my first, my first girlfriend had a copy. So it's sort of way back at the beginning of my life as an adult as well. And, and it's still here now and I'll still, Played, I think, until until my deathbed, which I hopefully, uh, which hopefully isn't ain't anytime soon. But hey, you never know. Which is the second time I said that. I'm, uh, it's, oh, it's, uh, it's 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 something clearly on my mind at the moment. Um, the well, the uh, we now appreciate well, this well, time it, together yeah, even the more, David. This has been a, a real, been a real thrill. It's been a real downer, mate. That's what it's been. <laughs> um, I should say thank you too for uh, for having me for having me on Booktopia for having me on uh, Booktopia Avenue for having me on your podcast <laughs> and uh, 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 for the effort and the concentration and the diligence you brought and the professionalism that you brought to my slightly long and winding road of a of a set of answers. But uh, I've enjoyed myself very much. Stay well, and um, I've suddenly taken over as a presenter, haven't I? I kind of do this a bit. <laughs> so, so from all of us at, at Booktopia to everyone at home, thanks for listening and thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next time for the uh, next episode, which is when, guys? Over to you. <laughs> Who's on Thank your next episode? Thank you so much, David. I, I don't, um, I, I'd have to ask our producer who's on next. <laughs> we're just the, we're just okay. the uh, I've really enjoyed myself, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, and and when all this is in the past, and I can get over to Australia again, then uh, hunt me down, kick machines, and say hello. We will. We will. Apart we will. from the kicking. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot, then. Thanks so much, David. We really appreciate your time. Thanks again. Bye. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked the sound of our chat and you liked the sound of Utopia Avenue by David Mitchell, you can buy it right now on booktopia.com.au along with all of David's other wonderful novels. Right now, booktopia.com.au. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces, and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast, and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at booktopia.com.au.